What's up, military millionaires? I'm your host, David Bray, and I am here with my wonderful co-host, Alexander Felice, and our guest today, Darren Smith, who was in the Army for six years and now has been investing in real estate for uh, the past 18 years, including flipping, renting, wholesaling, and now moving into uh, owning millions of dollars worth of industrial properties. And so we're going to just kind of talk through some of that, building the team, and some of the things that Darren has done to achieve this success and be able to take real estate full-time. So, uh, Darren, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic One, Oscar Mike. Hey, thank you very much, David. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, your backstory. Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, in the Army for, for six years, so I got to do a, quite a bit of traveling with that. Had a good time. I did computers and networking type stuff in the service. So when I got out, I transitioned right into uh, still doing that uh, for uh, the, the private sector. Uh, fortunately, in one of those early jobs, uh, I was able to sit next to somebody who was big into real estate. They, you know, were flipping a couple houses. I mean, for me, it was huge at the time. They they were flipping houses and they had a couple of rental properties. And so it was, uh, you know, for someone who was not exposed to that world at all, it was quite an eye opener. Um, you know, my whole life had been taught to just, you know, get a job, have a W two, that type of thing. So. Bottom line, uh, right then and there, I just read every book I possibly could. Uh, went and within a couple months, purchased my first live-in flip and did that, and then just uh, proceeded to try and, and grow it up from there. Uh, I'll, I'll keep it uh, as short as possible, but I made you know some good money during the last run-up uh, back in the 2000s, flipping houses. But then I got in over my head. I, I bought some uh, mobile home parks out of state. Uh, where I had to catch a plane to even go go see them, trusted people I shouldn't have trusted, and just made a lot of bad decisions and ended up you know getting hurt pretty bad during the crash. So went back, fortunately I still had a computer job, continued with that, did that for a couple of years, but really just wanted to get back into real estate. So 2012, 13, got back into real estate uh, in Pennsylvania, moved to Colorado shortly thereafter, <laughs> lived out there for four years, uh, built up a flipping and wholesaling business and, and built a team up. And then I've uh, since moved back to Pennsylvania a couple of years ago. So I'm still running uh, that team out there of awesome people. And they're running my business in Colorado and in Pennsylvania at this time. <laughs> so like so easy. <laughs> that's it. It's so easy. So yeah, that's, that's summarizing 18 years in the up to minute there. Okay. So you got smacked in 05 for buying out of state, which um, uh, 07, I think is uh, I'm currently actually in Indianapolis and What's interesting about Indianapolis is the investor pool here is kind of small compared to the amount of out-of-state investors. And there's a lot of out-of-state investors in my market too. And they occasionally, you know, a lot of them are doing their due diligence. Occasionally, some people will buy stuff that I think they're crazy, but they don't really know the area. They just maybe know the numbers or what somebody told them. So are you focused on markets that you know really super well this time? Because we're kind of coming, we're, at, we're, we're, we're peaking in the market now too. So what are you kind of doing differently between now and then? Uh, we certainly are peaking in the market. I would have to say before somebody uh, could invest outside of their local area, 
they should just really know what the heck they're doing, like really know it well and have done it, you know, locally. So I'm operating two markets at, at this point in time, but that is because uh, I've you know, done it so much. Back then I was just getting started. So anybody starting out, I would go in your area, find a, a community that you like, maybe pick a, a good demographic of lower, lower middle-class uh, homes and just stick, stick to what you know. Because um, we're probably talking a lot of people who are just getting into this. And you don't want to be you know, doing all over the place and lots of lots of different types of houses and lots of different cities. So what we're doing right now uh, to have success is, is just we said we're sticking with a couple of counties in Colorado where my business was and where uh, where my team is. And then well, we're, we're in about 10 counties here in southern Pennsylvania. But it is it's areas I know. And we have we now have the processes and the people and the resources to expand out a little bit. But if I was just getting started. I wouldn't even leave my city. Yeah, I think some people. Oh, sorry, David. Go ahead. I, I appreciate that. That might be a first. I, thank you. I make I it appre- make it snappy. <laughs> make it snappy. Um, I th- I think it's important to distinguish the fact that the two you are in two different markets, right? And one of them is long distance, but you've lived in both locations. So the key there being knowing the market, because like I, I got buddies out here in San Diego that I'll tell them some of the numbers I'm running in Missouri, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I'll buy that house cash all day," and I'm like. Like, I'm passing on that one. And they're like, what do you mean? It's like, I understand it's a $100,000 house. And to you in California, that sounds amazing. But the rent doesn't make sense. It's not going to appreciate $100,000. It's not worth that. You know, and it's like, if you don't know the actual market, and you just focus on the numbers. It's it's like, if you're coming in and buying a million dollar house at a six cap, maybe it doesn't matter as much as if you're buying small, small, small numbers, if you were paying two cap, three cap, four cap in your market. Like, okay, got it. But, but if you're taking on debt and you're trying to compete in that market, you need, you need to compare it to things in that market. Not just, I think that's a valid point that you, you are in two different markets right now, but you're intimately familiar with both of them and have lived in both of them as opposed to just, you know, buying in Missouri when you have only known California prices. Very true. Also, I think it's, I think it's um, going out of state from the start adds a, a layer of complexity for sure. And it's kind of easier to get scraped and bruised up when you're close by. I started out um, sort of close and I did most of my investing out of state. And now that I'm back, especially in this market where it's really competitive, it's like um, going out of state is starting to put people at a disadvantage where I think it used to three, four years ago, I think there's a big advantage in going out of state because you could, um, Leverage, like David said, you could leverage your that region's money into a cheaper market. But now, where I think it's so competitive, I think definitely um, sticking where you're where you're at is going to give you a high competitive advantage. Because if you're competing face to face against somebody who's having to call in, like I just have a speed advantage, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stick sticking local. In fact, even to emphasize that point that I learned the lesson was what I'm doing with commercial real estate right now. I am only doing local here in in my local area. Uh, Whereas I've bought houses in probably five or six other states, just dabbling here and there. I'll take some risks, but for me, I need to be able to go and sit down and you know in front of that person. Um, I will um, I will say one thing on on the speed though. My entire Pennsylvania business is run by people in Colorado, so it's actually kind of interesting. I'll about twice a month they may have me go pick up uh, you know run an errand or something for them at a house, but other than that, uh, we've transitioned so much to phone. Uh, because of COVID, really, that was we we'd kind of been doing it a little bit before, but we were about ninety percent in person visits and ten percent on the phone. And now, uh, honestly, our first visit 
100% of the time is uh, is a phone visit. And then maybe we'll follow it up uh, with a, with an in-person, but that's maybe maybe 10% of the time, 15% of the time we need an in-person. Other than that, it's all uh, all done just over the phone and, and with Adobe DocuSign. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I like that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but I still think there's definitely, a. I do still think there's an advantage to being around local. Like you said, if nothing else, it's like you get to use, you get used to that market, you know it. Mm -hmm. um, you start knowing the neighborhoods. Um, one of the best things that I've done, my partner, every time I, it's like a running joke. Every time I ask him how much something to rent for, he's like, oh yeah, I got a property in that neighborhood. It'll rent for this <laughs> everywhere in town. And that's invaluable. Now maybe you, somebody yeah. else can find him out of state, but it's like, I hang out with him four days a week. Like you just can't beat that relationship. So being close to the ground and having those relationships, if nothing else is, uh, is highly valuable. And I think there's something to be said for just the speed, right? So I, I bought my first house in Missouri and then I moved and I haven't lived back there since. And I'm moving back there in like three months, but even with, and I have a pretty, I would say a pretty solid team. I've got people who will look at a house for me, you know, and meet as soon as I can connect them with the seller. I've got a guy who will clean houses out. I got maintenance guys. I got property manager, you know, whatever. I've got a fairly good team at this point. And yet I still feel like if I was there physically, even if it was, whether it was me or like me and an acquisitions guy who sat next to me, things would just be able to move faster because it would just be like, there are still times where I'm like, yeah, Hey, you and you link up and try to find a time to go to the house. Whereas if the seller was like, yeah, that sounds good. I'd be like, great. When are you free? Awesome. I'll meet you there. And no matter what, like I'll be there at this time to look at the house. And I'm so there's still a little bit of a lag, even with five years of having a good team that I'm just excited to be there in person where it's like, okay, yeah, I can drive by that house today in preparation for my call if I want to, or I can, you know, instead of there's things that I have to do sequentially to make sense before I start wasting my team's time at this point that I'd be okay driving by a house on my way home or well, what about, um, you know, you're talking about team building, Darren, what about, um, team building, not for, Hey, I'm able to go to this house because I'm close, but how about I can hang out with these people and have those conversations more often face to face. And that develops deeper relationships. Can you, you want to talk about that, that, that side of it a little bit? Um, so do you mean me building a relationship with the team or the team building a relationship with the sellers? I mean, you and them working together, like face to face, it's, it's much in my experience and maybe, you know, people are just different. I mean, I definitely think tele networking is going to have more value, but after COVID, um, since we're all doing a lot more tele networking, I actually think, um, the value in face to face relationships is far more, far higher than I had realized. I, I think it's gonna be much harder to replace than I had thought before. Yeah, it's. I think the value of it is it's only getting more and more valuable because we're getting less and less of it. So I, I, I agree with you having That's that, that face-to-face contact. We just, it's, it's harder to do these days and, and harder to get in front of them. So when you can do it, people are really going to appreciate that much more. Um, as far as me and my team, I actually just passed the one year mark of not going back out to Colorado to visit uh, and hang out with those guys, which is it's mind blowing to me. I was there. I, I probably flew out about 10 times a year the first two years um, that I was doing it. So back and forth all the time and the in-person meetings are invaluable the stuff we would come up with. So we've just had to find ways of, of working around it. I can't say uh, it's as good because it's not, but we've been able to make it work and we've, we've made some huge pivots and changes. I think also because I had that relationship with them where we had hung out for so many times, uh, we had that build up. But if I was doing it from scratch with somebody who I just only had met on the video, yeah, that would be, that would be super tough. 
Yeah, that's where I was going to go next, where it's one thing if you're, I can go away now because my team and I are, you know, we're super tight and Hey, I'll fly back a couple times a year. And I, or maybe not fly back at all. Like we're friends for life. We're bonded for life, but that would never have happened if I had to do it over phone calls. So, yeah, uh, you know, I started a long time. Like I, I've been making content about long distance investing for, for a while. And I think, uh, over the last 18 months, it's definitely shifted to, um, Hey, find the deals, find the people to manage it, you know, just keep on giving up, shoving, like giving them work and you'll build that relationship, you know, fly back once in a while. And now I think because of the way the market is, um, I definitely think there's value in being on boots in the ground more, more so than there was two or three years ago. Uh, yeah. I've, I miss the heck out of it. Um, you touched on there, uh, you know, finding the deals. I know I'm sure you, you have a lot of people kind of starting out in real estate, trying to figure out, you know, how, how do we find these deals? I and mean, we've, we've bought, you know, a couple hundred houses at this point. And I wish I had like some clear cut answer, but to, you know, as much as we said on focusing on your location, I think the exact same thing applies to focusing on your marketing. And so there's, there's a lot of things that work out there. And then your listeners have probably, uh, you know, read the list of, you know, dozens and dozens of ways of marketing and finding buyers. There's really expensive ones and there's ones that uh, take a lot more time, but uh, you know, are, are cheaper. And, one thing that I've uh, I've learned on this, and we're even getting back to, like we we've, we've been so diverse on our marketing, but we're coming back and we're trimming down and we're cutting out things and we're doing less and and deeper marketing. And so if if people are trying to find these deals, um, there's no one best way out there, uh, but but find find that neighborhood you like. Maybe it's a couple thousand houses, maybe it's a zip code, maybe it's maybe it's your whole city if it's small enough. Um, but like learn everything you possibly can about that area, drive it around, as you said, and like knock doors, put up flyers, like walk the streets at different times a day to learn, you know, what's hot, talk to other investors, and then pick your one type of marketing you want. Maybe you're doing probate, maybe you're doing foreclosures, maybe you um, you pick 100%, you know, 100% equity homes or however you pull in your lists, and then just really dive into that a lot, you know, call them, text them, mail them on, on a small list. So if you're just getting started, stick small, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a couple dozen, maybe it's a couple hundred, maybe, maybe you can do a thousand if, if you have the budget for it, but keep, you know, just do that one thing, that one type of marketing um, to those people over and over and make that work before you branch out. So just like location, you want to stay in narrow. I would say marketing, do the same thing because it's so easy to outspend yourself and you can spend all your money in like two months and not get a deal. And then, and then you're done. Whereas if you stick small and narrow, uh, that'll drag out. It'll last a bit longer. Get better success. It, there's so much parallel to that that advice as there is the the first thing you said is like, hey, look, start in your market. And mm -hmm. so those two ideas are, are are so similar. It's like, dude, start with what you know you can get done, and then as you get better, expand. But like, niche it down. Start in your market. Start with a three two that rents for a thousand bucks. You know, whatever the case is. Like, start get that, and then it's like, hey, look, when your cup overfloweth then, you know, expand. So I love that those ideas are parallel in the same like overarching strategy. Yeah. It's crazy when you hear people say they're sending 12, 15, 20,000 mailers a month. Right. And I compare that to what I'm doing right now, which is like one, 2000, like, I'm basically sending like 4,000 a quarter right now. And, and then I talk to people and, and 4,000 a quarter sounds crazy to them. And I'm like, well, you know, when I first started mailing, like the first list I ever mailed, I hand wrote like 120 letters because I was too cheap to pay for letters. And then I basically dropped them in mailboxes because I was like, ah, eh. 
I could buy stamps, but I'm going to knock on a door. And if they don't answer, I'm going to put this in their mailbox. And I didn't address, I just wrote like, you know, the address. I am like standing outside, like writing the address on the letter as I'm like sticking it in the mailbox. If they <laughs> I love it. And that didn't work at all. But, <laughs> but it was, I didn't have the, you know, I, I, you start out and I continued going back to them. I got some very interesting phone calls out of that. I was absolutely in the wrong neighborhood because I didn't know what I was doing. But, uh, but, put in perspective, I got a phone call from a $20 million homeowner who was like, dude, are you like, you're in the military. You're not buying my house. Or like literally, literally asked me if I was a front runner for Obama, this is out in Hawaii. And so I was like, okay, well that's, that's not probably not the people I need to be marketing to. So the two main phone calls I remember out of this list of like a hundred people was someone who thought I was like the president, president Obama at the times, uh, front runner and somebody who was uh, Donald Rumsfeld's son. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm doing this wrong. But anyway, all that to say, like I kept doing the small handwritten, cheap, affordable things back in my Missouri market and it worked. And yet it, now I'm, I'm doing that on a bigger scale, but because it worked, I didn't, I wasn't spending $4,000 every couple months on mailers. When I first started real estate investing, I would, I would never have made it. If I didn't, if I didn't find a deal doing that in the first go, I would have been done. That would have been it. That's exactly right. that. That right there, the fact that you did that though, that's what it takes. That kind of drive, that kind of like motivation to get out there and do that, not just once, but over and over and over again. Um, those are the people you hear those stories who've been successful over and over again because they they did the hard stuff. I I when I was working computers every day on my way home, I would spend several hours putting door hangers on on different neighborhoods that I loved, and just like you, it didn't work. I don't, I don't know if I got a single deal uh, from those door hangers, but the, the fact that, you know, I spent, uh, you know, starting out months doing that for hours a day and then going home, handwriting banded signs, driving my truck around town, ham, hammering them in, you know, all those things you do uh, when you're hungry and, and you know, they're, they're cheap and they're things that you can do on your own. Um, and you, you get, you used to be embarrassed too. That's kind of the thing. Like you think, Oh, I'm hanging this on the door. I remember when I first doing that or hammering in the sign. I, I don't do banded signs anymore. I haven't in years, but you know, it was one of those things you had to get over people uh, being embarrassed and just talk with people. And I think if you can do those things that are out of your comfort zone um, and put you in those places, you're more likely to go talk to a seller. Cause let's be honest, guys, when you're getting started, just talking to a seller can be scary as heck. <laughs> uh, the first time that phone rings, you're like, Oh my gosh, what do I say? Um, oh, I, so, hate it. Yeah, I, lo I love what you did. The, the phone rings and I'm like, Oh, I, I like, I, I'm, I have a call center at this point that I use or be, or people to take my calls because I, even after three years of being a recruiter for the military, I'm just, I got, I just do not like, like when the phone rings and I'm like, oh, is this going to be another, like, screw you, lose my number? Like, I just don't <laughs> want to deal with this. And so I finally was like, yeah, this is not my strength. Like I like making phone calls. Like if it's a motivated set, like, so I basically have someone screen them out and then set an appointment. And I'm like, I like the motivated seller. Let me get on the phone and sell, build rapport or whatever. I don't like the like, hey, this is Dave with Freedom Property. <laughs> All right. And my day has started now. Like, yeah, I don't do that. <laughs> I don't do that very well. I kind of got over that in life. So, oh, man. Uh, but, you know, so. Are you right, just, so, well, uh, one point though, you just found if, if someone's getting started, this, find the thing you hate the most and, and hire for that. So we can get into the hiring conversation. But yeah, if you don't like something, Find that person first. You got a call center. I have I have a, a great lead manager. That was one of the first things I offloaded too, because answering that phone, that sucks. <laughs> hey, uh, Darren, I don't like doing any work. How do I? Can I outsource everything? Can I do? 
You, not for a very long time. Uh, I, yeah, I'm in some masterminds and then and one, a really good one where there are people who are running, um, you know, multiple hundred properties a year businesses that only work in it for a couple of hours a week. Uh, but that took years uh, to achieve that level. And they're, those people are way smarter than me. Oh, I'm, I'm very smart. That's easy. So yes, yes is what you're saying. Uh, I said the wrong thing. Not that they're so much smarter than me. They are, um, they're so much, um, how do I say they're much more dedicated than me. Like their work ethic. And I, I work very hard, but their work ethic is on another level. Like they are able to do. Oh no, I don't want to do any work where you're missing the point here. You have to do a crap. (laughs) So no, you're you're (laughs) wrong. What's the what's the Bill Gates quote about if you want to find an efficient way to do something, hire a lazy person because they'll find the most efficient way to do it. I love that mentality. I used to joke on recruiting duty. I was like, all the best recruiters are fat. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, the, the guys who don't want to spend all this time doing all this extra work are the guys who will find the fastest way to get someone to enlist. And they were like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then we did like an award ceremony at the end of the year and all the best recruiters were fat. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> like all the lazy dudes. Because I got to the point on recruiting duty where it was like, how do I do the least amount of work to still get three people to enlist? Yeah. Yeah. I want that answer. Not how do I do the most amount of work and enlist the most amount of people? Like how do I do the least and meet what I'm supposed to meet? But then of course they, you know, anyway, what's up military millionaires. I wanted to briefly talk about a service I offer that a whole lot of people don't seem to know about. And I guess that's a failure on my part for not having discussed it enough. So look, Finding a realtor that understands investing and or the VA loan or, or both is not always the easiest thing in the world. And finding a lender, same thing. So what I have started doing is I've built a, well, I have a large network, but I've started to compile it all together finally as a legitimate uh, Excel document driven, location driven list for you guys, essentially. So what it, what it is, is basically just my way of helping connect you with a realtor or a lender that I know personally and have vetted and talked to and understand that they're not going to screw you. And what I do is like, for example, I had a market where I had two or three agents that I all sent the same person as a connection and said, Hey man, you know, I, I trust, I, I know all of these, let me know what you think. And they all said the same agent and same thing. So what I've done is if there's multiple agents in the same market, I choose the best one and that's who I'm going to hook you up with. But the whole point of this is just to help ensure that you get connected to the best agent. So if that is something that you would like, just go to the website, go to from military to millionaire.com slash VA dash realtor slash, or just reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook, whatever. I'll send you the link or you can find it on the resources page of the website. But look, All it is is a way to help connect you with an agent who's going to hook you up. No, I don't charge a fee for you. No, I don't charge a fee for the agent. It's just a way to hook you guys up. At the end of the day, as a buyer, you're not going to pay for a realtor anyway. So, ta-da, it's magic. You might as well use one. As far as VA lender, I've got a really good one that I work with and know very well. There's several others that are pretty good. And I'll probably try to steer you away from some uh, companies that I just don't think are very reputable or have been very helpful. So, you know, if this is a service that sounds good to you for free 99, then uh, reach out. And if not, then uh, enjoy the show right now. Um, so I guess on that note, like what, you know, you're talking about building a team and hiring some of this out. So like, what are some of the things I'm actually gearing up to hire? I just read the book Who, uh, and I've read uh, Who Not How, and I'm I've got a phone call next week with someone that I respect uh, in this regard. But uh, I'm gearing up to hire my first uh, full time, I guess you'd say admin, like basically just handle all this stuff that I'm really bad at that involves like the uploading of content and the, just sending stuff to my editor and sent, replying to emails and uh, you know, all that junk. Um, 
I guess I would just ask, like, what are what are your thoughts on when you're gearing up for like your first hire? Or what are some things you wish you'd known when you first started building out a team and, and genuinely going from, hey, I've got some people who help me because they're involved in the process to like, okay, now I need to bring in like actual dedicated full-time help. Yeah, there's so many ways you can go with that question. And that is an, an amazing book. So I uh, love that you've read that before you got started. Um, I'll give you a great start. The, the two main things to talk about is one, like how you uh, hire the people and then build those people as like, uh, you know, pour yourself into them, make sure that you're helping them, you know, achieve their goals and stuff. So there's that side of it. And then there's just making sure they're actually doing the stuff that you need to get done and have a, you know, processes and, you know, and systems behind that. So from the hiring side, I, uh, I love uh, automating that as much as possible for me. So I've used, I use a system called a wise hire. I think it's 200 bucks a month. So that it is a little bit pricey, but you don't have to use that, but something where you can screen the, have the people screen themselves automatically. So if you paste post a Craigslist ad or a Facebook ad, make sure they have to do something, you know, they have to, um, I, I like to have them go to a disc desk disc disc test it takes you know a couple of minutes and then email it to me and then book something on my calendly uh link here and what that does is that makes them jump through a few hoops so you're not just getting fifty thousand people you know uh, sending you a resume and saying you know here hire me and, and it's garbage so that's kind of step one uh going through the interview process there's man there's some great books out there i, I could i could dive into that a bit but just make sure you really you know what have they done that they've done been really successful at what has excited them what has driven them and it doesn't matter if it's in the same field or not i don't really care if they have the knowledge but what what have they done that they've that they've just crushed it maybe it was maybe it was high school sports you're hiring somebody out of uh, school maybe they were you know a salutatorian or whatever um, but i want to i want to know that they were they've been successful and driven at something uh, once you have them on your team and you've got them there uh, you're you're working with them you really just want to know wh what are their goals like like do they have what are they trying to achieve? And does the role that you are putting them in help them get there? So if their goal, you know, is um, they want to be a salesperson. Well, if you're hiring for an admin, admin job, that's probably not a good fit just because, uh, you know, you're not helping them learn the skills and, and get to where they, they want to be. Um, you know, one of my employees, his goal is own a bunch of rentals. So he's, he's my lead manager. He is doing Great. He's actually flipped, I think, two or three properties in the last year that he's bought through the company. And so we're helping him achieve his goals, not just in the role, but in life in general. So there's a whole lot more to that, but that's that side of it. As far as what you're having him do, you want to make sure I go through the list of eliminate, um, what is it? Eliminate, automate, delegate. I think that's that's the order that I use. So go through what you're doing and your admin test, write down what you, what you've, uh, what you do every day for like a week or two, just all those little things. And then what do you hate? Oh, my hate answering the phone. Okay. That's the, the job you want to hire for an admin person, you know, write all those things down and then you figure, what am I doing that I don't need to be doing? I can just stop doing it. Get rid of those. What can I automate? Maybe there's a system I can make this easier. Maybe I can automatically have that list sent somewhere to, you know, to be uploaded. Okay. If I can't do that, well, now we need to, to delegate this, but when you're delegating, you want to make sure that you have an actual process that they can follow. If you just said, Hey, uh, download that list and put it in there, you know, put it in this system. Well, they, there's, there's, there's about 50 steps probably in there that you don't really think about that they can mess up. So the system we use is we, uh, it's a, it's a free Chrome plugin called, uh, loom L O O M. 
And what it does, it's a video capture and it's, it, you can make five minute videos for free. And so we just make a little screen capture of what you're doing and your little videos on there and you talk through it and it shows them the process of what it is you do step-by-step. Step. And then we take that, we put into a software called Asana. It's just a project tracking software and you lay out the high level steps. We don't get into super detail because it takes forever. And if you're going to be delegating them, you know, 30 tasks to do, you know, you can't spend all your time tracking that. So that's just it. We, um, when you have them do something, make a little quick video of what it is, put it in, in the, that Asana. And then in the beginning with people, I don't do this later on. It's a weekly or monthly report, but in the beginning, I want them letting me know every day, what is it I got done that day? And then what are my plans for the next day? Just to make sure we're on the right track. So for an admin, that's a excellent thing you want to have them do um, just because it is so many little things. So I know that was a lot, but uh, that's that's kind of the high level for how you bring someone on and then and then have them doing the right stuff. I I really like that, um, and I I actually really I really like the fact that you the what have they been successful at, and not that it matters if they've been successful in your specific field, but just that there's been something that they've exceeded at, and I I've noticed that in life, and I I kind of clicked while you were saying it that like the people who do well in life seem to be some, so like I have a, a bunch of buddies from high school that are all Eagle Scouts, right? I was an Eagle Scout, whatever. But like when I think back to high school and I'm like, what are the people who I think of that are like, they made it, like they did something worthwhile. Like, man, of all the guys I know who are Eagle Scouts, like they're all doing something really successful. And it has nothing to do with being a Boy Scout. I think it just has something to do with like, if you're doing like the ability to like, if you're doing something, do it well. Um, and I think that's like a, I mean, that just makes sense, right? Like it doesn't have to be pursuant to any specific skill set. But if you're that kind of person, like you're not going to want to do anything, anything you're, what's the phrase, anything worth doing is worth doing well or worth doing right or whatever. And people with that mentality will succeed. And I think that's a cool point that I hadn't really thought of in the hiring process, but makes absolute sense to me. Yeah, that that's probably the most important thing I said of, of all of that. So yeah, you keyed on, on the best, that, that was the cream. That's cool. All right. Uh, let's see. There was one other. We we're going to talk about some some private lending and how you've uh, been able to use some uh, uh, some lend, the lending side to kind of scale your business a little bit. Yes. That and this is something that um, I want to be tell people to be a bit cautious on, especially in the beginning, because you know private lending it's a tool, um, but it, it's something that can be dangerous as well. You know, if, if used the wrong way, or if you, if you're getting in, you know, a bit over your head, um, you know. I, for me personally, and what I would recommend to anybody is if you are working with private lenders, I only use that money for buying and rehabbing houses. Um, and that could be ones I'm holding, or it could be ones I'm flipping, whatever it is. I don't want to touch anybody else's money for anything that's operational in a business. So I'm going to put that caveat right up front. You know, if you're borrowing money to pay for your, your marketing that you may never see back, um, you know, that could be dangerous because now you're, you're, you may just end up with no money and you're working your job to, to pay somebody back for something that um, is, there's nothing equity tied behind it. Um, so I what? always, I tie mine with the, with the deeds of trust to a property. Can I, um, I, does that specifically have to do with collateral or does it have to do with exit strategy? It has to do with collateral. So th that's it. I mean, I'm, I know people that have borrowed for, for operations, but yeah, for me, it's, I want to know if I'm using somebody else's money, that that money um, is secure and is secured against something. And maybe I have a tie with the deed of trust. Maybe it's just, I, they're lending it to me on a, pri a personal or a private note, but I have it earmarked as rehab for this property. I know what are, where it is, what, it, what it's going towards. 
Um, and I have plenty of equity in that property. So if something went badly, I know my private lender is getting paid back. You know, that that's, that's just paramount to me to make sure that happens. So. Yeah. So I spent a long time, not a long time. I spent some time in uh, commercial underwriting and from a bank's perspective, that's the first and most important thing. And I think people underappreciate it from the outside. Like for me, from a banker's perspective, I'm like, dude, collateral is one first and only. That's the biggest risk mitigator. That's the number one thing that the banks care about. They don't care how your track record. It's like, is the money secured against as a, uh, you know, non depreciating asset. <laughs> yeah. Cash. We do like SBA will do cash loans for cash flow businesses, but it's a smaller percentage than, and it's much harder, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, you just want to do ops. You just want to do what's going to be a cash flow business. We have nothing to sell if you default. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, that, that land of thinking. And I think people, uh, the, the advice that I'm trying to make for listeners is if you're going out there and looking for private lending money, or you're trying to be a private lender, uh, collateralization is kind of what you said. And then I know this from the bank side is like paramount number one. Uh, man, I, I love hearing that from, from the banker side. I, I don't know much about banking. I don't uh, have a couple bank loans, but most of it's private money. So it's nice to hear that I'm uh, on the right track there. I, yeah. I, collateralization. I just signed my first deed of trust and mailing it in tonight. For my nice. first like hundred percent private money uh, buy and flip, so I've done a, I've done like promissory notes with like friends where it's like a piece of the money or or you know whatever and like on the lender side, but this is my first my first like completely hundred percent private money. I'm not going to have any cash in the deal. That's uh, not like a large like pool of investors or anything. So kind of cool, kind of exciting. So uh, kind of. Glad that you mentioned that that was the document you used. So I'm on, I'm on the right path here. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. That, that's a huge step. Like your, your first no money uh, deal, like where you bought a property with $0. I mean, actually I bought a property earlier this year where I got a check for like 50,000 at closing. Now, granted it went towards some of the rehab and stuff like that, but it was, you know, when you do stuff like that, you're like, wow, this, this really can work now. Again, back to make sure you have the collateral, make yep. sure you have the equity in the property to do something like that. Don't just uh, go borrow willingly, willing, but I'm sure you didn't. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think this one will be a really quick move, but I also have a, a property with, you know, three times the equity of this deal closing on the 1st of April. So I'm like, eh, if the world ends, I'll just pay them out out of that. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm just, that's it. What, whatever it takes to make sure my first like legit private lending deal goes well <laughs> enough that he will be a good reference for me. So, and you, you said it right there. I've, I've lost money on several deals and not that I was hiding anything, but my lenders didn't even know they still got their interest. They still got their return, um, everything at the closing and it was all you know, completely transparent to them. So making sure they're whole, even if you have to take it out of something else or whatever you got to do. Um, I love that you're, you can do that. Your reputation is everything. That, yes. I've learned. Well, not that my reputation, it sounds, it sounds really weird to say that yourself, Right. Like, you're like oh, my reputation. But the reality is like I've I've had conversations with people over the last year where it's like, eh, sorry, man, like my reputation's not worth that risk. And I've realized I've come to realize that like in the real estate world, it's like you saw what, uh, what what was his name? The uh, the turnkey operator who went down like a year and a half ago. I, no, I don't want to say went down, but like the reputation went out the window and all of a sudden it was like everybody and their mother stayed clear like realistically i mean that's it right people will lend to you the guy who's lending on this deal to me prior to talking terms on this lend we we had never had a, a phone call it was just i sent out an email and he was like yeah man I, I i want in oh okay well that's that's only reputation right so you know who am i to tank that and then now 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 i'm screwed so 
Um, Interesting. Uh, I'm going to assume that, that means Alex's wonderful Wi-Fi just cut out on us. Uh, no, it was on the phone there, but that, that's all right. We, we can go into the private lending part a little bit more. Um, there, so that's that's how you secure the money. And then just my general philosophy about it. As far as raising it, I'll be honest, I am not that good at raising private money. It's taken me years to do it. I still do it. it it's part of my regular process where I have tasks uh, several times a week of calling people who have expressed interest or, or who have um, returned an email or something that said, yeah, I might be interested in something like that. So I'm still, it's something I'm constantly working on um, because you're always trying to get more money and then try and get, you know, lower rates. So if it, to, to promote another, you know, somebody else who I've been following their system for a while and then and I've gotten some success out of it. Uh, it's a, it's a company, a seven figure flipping and it was Bill. 30 days Bill. to $500,000. So yep. it's like a hundred bucks for the, for this 30 day video series. And if you Google that, I recommend it. I mean, I could, I could sit here and, you know, talk and talk for an hour on it. He's going to tell you way more. Bill's a good friend of ours. Yeah, I was going to say, Bill. Bill, we co-hosted a veterans uh, event last year with Bill, so big, big fans for sure. Bill Allen is awesome. He he certainly is. Yeah, I've I've learned an absolute ton from that guy. So uh, yeah, he he again, he's one of the ones uh, way smarter and way more driven. You know, he he spends a couple hours a week in his business, uh, and they're they're doing millions a year. So. That's just in his in his wholesaling flipping business. So he he was actually who came to mind when you were saying that, and I was like, yeah, but he's been like he's got well, I mean, realistically, let's be honest, he's got one guy on his team who looks like a professional football player, and that's that's really why he's. You know, he's <laughs> that, that's totally it. It's it's how he looks. You know? so, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, oh man, that's awesome. That's good stuff. Uh, but you're right. I think it is like. Well, shoot, I'm paying you. You mentioned the the more people you talk to about private money, the lower you can get as far as the money you're having to pay them. I am 100% overpaying on this as far as what people want when they do private money. I mean, this is more expensive to me than hard money would be. This is because I, I the deal's going to work. I'm going to make money. Like I'm, I'm he's going to make a lot of money on it too. Um, but I just, I wanted to make it worthwhile on my first one to make sure like, okay, cool. Everything goes well, happy investor, happy life, happy, whatever. But going forward, I'm not going to be, um, offering the same kind of terms to, uh, people. And I, I think that that's kind of the key is like, okay, now that I'm good, now that this is a proven system. Now I need to build this up to where I can have uh, more desirable terms with people. Yeah. Well, I, I did the same one. Go ahead. Oh, when I flipped my, I started, just started flipping houses. I've only done a few, but when I, the first few, it was like, I paid a lot to the borrowers or to the lenders because I was like, look, take a risk, take a chance on me. Even though I've rehabbed a bunch of houses, I'd never exited one as a flip. So take a chance on me. I'll pay you a high cut way more than, way more than I need to. So that, you know, to build some of that goodwill. And then now even only a few flips in, it's like, now I have the cheapest, I have money that's so cheap, not on a lot of volume, but you know, some people that will fund my flips where it's like, I gonna have to pay you more than you asked because <laughs> you under you undercharged me. <laughs> but see what you just Good did. There. So answer this then. How did how was the rate set on those people who are paying too little? The um, they offered it. Exactly. So so David, I want to I want you should watch that thirty day video that series we haven't and and that was the when you said I shouldn't offer rates that high. That's the, so you're, you're not offering rates, uh, at all. Um, you're talking to them about what they need. It's just, it's just like buying a house. That's the exact same thing. You're, you're providing a service to that person when you buy their house, 
It's the same thing with, uh, with, with beginning private money. You're providing a service that that person by allowing them to earn interest you know, on their money. Granted, we want that money. We need that money to run our business. It's the grease, but, uh, but you're helping them out and find out what they need, find out what interest they want. But yeah, it's a good series. That's awesome. All right, Darren, we got a few questions that we ask every guest. Okay, go ahead. All right. So the first one is, uh, if a 18, 19 year old Iwani to walked up to you asking you for advice, what would be the one thing that you feel like you'd have to tell them about whether it's life or real estate or, you know, whatever. Gosh, uh, it, on the spot, I'd have to go back to what we talked about before on that, on that focus, that, that narrow and deep when you're first starting out. And if I'm, if I'm an 18 year old and I'm just getting started, I'm going to, I'm going to pick one small area. I'm going to pick one, one thing that I really like uh, that I want to do and just, and just dive in deep and then be consistent about it. You know, success, it's, it's being narrow and focused. And then it's and success is doing that over and over and over again. I mean, it's really boring. A lot of the stuff we do, it's, it's being able to do the tedious, boring things over and over are, are what eventually, you know, lead you to not have to do those anymore and, and to be successful. So just focus, go narrow and focus. I like it. Success is boring. I like that you said that. I know that's not a universal truth, but I think um, some people get in this, um, you know, it's like they hate their jobs because it's so monotonous. So they want to start their own business and then they start one and they're like, it's monotonous. And it's like, <laughs> okay, like dude, you, some of this is monotonous. Some of it's like, especially, you know, I do rentals. It's like, dude, I don't do anything. You know, the money comes in. <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything I have to do with rentals is something new. But I just love that you said that because, um, I don't know. It resonates with me personally, I guess. Yep. Yeah, I agree. All right. Question number two is what is a resource that you would recommend to anybody looking to get started in real estate? Uh, so, you know, everybody thinks of, of, you know, books and, and software and all those other things. But for me, the biggest resource is, is networking with other people. And so, uh, you know, joining some type of mastermind, even if it's at a, at an entry level, uh, you know, getting out and just, just being able to talk to as many people as you can. Maybe there's a local RIA group that you can follow, you know, follow someone around and work with them, but networking that's, that's, I know it's a stupid resource, but like talk with as many people as you can. Um, you know, the, the seven figure flipping group I'm in, I think they have like an entry level one, um, you know, like where you're on a Facebook group and you can ask questions and they can respond. Uh, Bigger pockets is another great, great one. So these are all resources they've probably heard of, but that's where you're going to get more out of. Whereas I've read almost every real estate book out there, but you know, they're always on like one specific thing and they're not going to give you kind of the breath you need. So yeah, people. Uh, I'd like to plug David's mastermind, the war room. Cause he won't do it enough. Um, <laughs> uh, to be honest, I bought a 52 unit in December and I, there's no way, there's no way I was even on the trajectory to close that kind of deal without that war room. So Awesome. Um, there are a lot of mastermind room, masterminds out there, but this guy runs one or wherever it is on the Definitely. screen. Jo- join the war room. I mean, uh, that, yeah, well said. <laughs> I mean, people in there closing 52 unit deals. If you're looking to get into multifamily or, you know, flipping houses, sounds like that's the place. <laughs> I appreciate the shout out, Alex. Yeah. Uh, man. Yeah, I know. I agree completely that people are probably, I don't even, don't even want to say people, probably they're, they're the best resource the best investment that i've made and and they've given the best return uh and it's amazing how much they'll surprise you in life right you never know who's going to come out of left field and uh i mean like we were just talking about right someone's lending me fifty thousand dollars on a deal that i mean that's 
as far as the Marine Corps goes, that's more than my W-2 taxable salary. And they're just like, hey, yeah, sure. We talked on the phone. Um, I trust you. Here's some money. Like, oh, well, that's cool. Um, you know, so it's crazy. Feeling. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's people for sure. I agree. Darren, this has been a lot of fun. This is good. I, uh, I feel like we could talk for a long time about a lot of things. Um, where can people get a hold of you if they'd like to reach out? Where's the best place to point people? Uh, yeah, they could shoot me an email. My, my color business is sell my house to Smith. So it's Darren D A R R E N at sell my house to Smith.com. Uh, shoot me an email and I'd be happy to help uh, anybody or talk about whatever they want. I love it. Easy. That's easy to remember. And I will, uh, we'll absolutely link to it in the show notes and make sure we point people your direction, brother. All right. Well, thank you so much, David and Alex. Y'all have a great night. I had a great time. Thank you. Darren, you're the man. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarymillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.